Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. You know, it's interesting to note just how many of Jesus' teachings revolve around, well, food and eating and the mealtimes and celebrations that involve a feast of one kind or another. Whether it was telling a story of a fatted calf barbecued to rejoice at the return of a prodigal son, a last supper to offer up a promise of life to his disciples, or broken bread to proclaim his resurrection. It seems that when there's food involved, Jesus always has something important to say. As the celebrated preacher Fred Craddock once said about Luke's gospel, nothing is more serious than a dining table. Well, today's message is about one of those table gatherings with Jesus. I'll be at one a bit more awkward than celebrative, but one in which Jesus did have a lot to say. It's based on Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, and it's entitled, Beyond the Banquet. This week I heard a radio interview on public radio with one David Burtka, who is a Hollywood actor, master chef, and caterer to the stars. And he has written this new book entitled Life is a Party, which was described as the quintessential and doable guide to throwing the perfect dinner party. Now, I have to confess that usually such a topic on the radio compels me to change the station right away, but (laughs) I actually found this interview quite interesting. I actually found that uh, I was enjoying hearing what Burke had to say, because what he was doing in this interview was to lay out in a very lively fashion all the essential aspects of a successful and enjoyable social gathering. Everything from uh, the overall theme of the event, the dinner menus from, from appetizers to dessert, the elaborate decorations and the beautiful table settings that go with such a things, after dinner entertainment, and even creating an appropriate musical playlist that fits the mood or the theme of the evening. Burka also talked in this interview all about inviting the right mix of people for a particular party, which is not as bad as it sounds. Often he would invite people that didn't really know each other or wouldn't get to know each other except for coming together for that party. He stressed the importance of where one's guests were to be seated at the table so to maximize opportunities for lively conversation that includes everyone, not just the extroverts in the crowd. And then he went on to suggest creative topics for discussion if there's ever a lull in the conversation, courtesy of a 3 by 5 card conveniently placed under the, ta- the placemat. For example, if you had a superpower, what would it be? He even provided what I would consider an excellent excellent idea for a party game. Upon arrival, you see, all the invited guests are asked to put their cell phones and electronic devices in the center of the dinner table. And whoever is the first one that night to reach through their phone gets to do the dishes. (laughs) 
The whole idea, says Bertka, is to do, quote, whatever it takes to make an event what it deserves to be, memorable and fabulous, as well, and this is what got me, as well as creating an atmosphere at the party that is relaxing, enjoyable, welcoming, and fun for both the guests and the host. Well, as I listened to our text this morning, Luke's account of a Sabbath meal at the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, I have to say that there's none of that at all. In fact, if I were to wager a guess, this would not have been considered any kind of relaxed or enjoyable dinner party, and certainly not what anyone would have ever remotely considered fun, especially given that Jesus was on the guest list. What we need to understand about what I just said is that this wasn't your run-of-the-mill Sabbath day meal. The whole reason that Jesus had been invited there in the first place was so that these Pharisees with whom he was dining could keep a close eye on him. In the words of the message, they were watching his every move. And Jesus, in all honesty, was not making the situation any less awkward. To wit, on his way to the Pharisee's house, there's this man in front of them who suffers from dropsy, which I had to look this up. It was a swelling of his muscles brought on by excess fluid, which today we might refer to as an edema brought on by congestive heart failure. And so, not only does Jesus then proceed to heal the man of this disease, just prior to this happening, he turns to all these lawyers and the Pharisees who are gathering together for this Sabbath meal, and he asks them, point blank, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? Talk about keeping the conversation lively. And of course, despite their devotion to keeping every letter of the law, the Pharisees, they're all quiet about this. They don't know what to say. And so Jesus, true to form, presses on. Come on, he says. Is there anyone here, if a child or animal fell down a well, wouldn't rush to pull him out immediately, rather than asking whether or not it's a Sabbath? And to this, again from the message, the Pharisees were stumped. There was nothing they could say to that. Now, I'm thinking at this point, the lead Pharisee is wondering why he ever thought it was a good idea to have Jesus come to that meal. And then, and then, Jesus starts talking to them at the meal itself about dinner party etiquette. He quite literally starts instructing not only the gathered guests at this meal, but also his host, remember, the lead Pharisee, regarding how they ought to be conducting themselves at a dinner party. And moreover, who should have been on the guest list? I mean, can you imagine Jesus turning to the person next to him and saying, you know what, next time, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you comes along and you get sent to the back of the room. That would be humiliating. No, says Jesus. Next time, my friend, you sit at the back of the room so you can be invited to move up because, friends, 
That's the great honor. Oh, and by the way, Rabbi Pharisee, next time you have a banquet like this, you really ought to be inviting, oh, say, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, the outcasts, the misfits, you know, the kind of people who never get invited to such a soiree as this one, the ones who could never pay you back for the opportunity. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Hmm. Kind of looks like we're not talking about proper social etiquette anymore, doesn't it? If, in fact, Jesus ever was. Because you know what the real topic of conversation was at this particular dinner party? It was the kingdom of God. See, what Jesus was actually addressing here is what uh, David Loos of Lutheran Seminary refers to as the honor and shame culture of his day, in which status, well, it's pretty much everything, and which infected just about every gathering one could name, most especially those gatherings at mealtimes. In other words, those deemed as more important or influential would easily and immediately be seated close to the host while others of lesser reputation were sat further away, much further away. Status was important, Reislos, and as a matter of prestige. But like all things related to status, it was, was fragile. A better position at the table wasn't simply an honor, you see. It would have tangible benefits to your business pursuits as well, your place in the community. Similarly, however, to be invited to a lower position would affect negatively all the dimensions of your life. In other words, where you're seen at the dinner party says everything about how you're seen. So now for Jesus to suggest that the best, the most honorific place to be seated at a dinner party is at the back of the room. And what's more, that all the people who get invited to said party really ought to be the ones who are always at the back of the room. Well, that actually would have sounded pretty ludicrous to their ears, if not downright offensive. Especially where the rich, the powerful, and the Pharisaic of Jesus' time were concerned. To quote David Lowe's one more time, why on earth waste an opportunity for social commerce by inviting those who have nothing to give you? who can do nothing for you and who typically mean nothing to you. It's crazy. But it's also the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Turns out, you see, that the truth of Jesus' words extend well beyond the banquet in question. In might, I add, goes way beyond the social mores of ancient Palestine, up to and including our present age in our lives today. Now, you have heard me say before <clears throat> that the very nature of the kingdom of God as it relates to the kingdom of this world is that it manages to turn our expectation of things upside down and inside out. 
contrary to what the world may continue to profess, the value of our lives and living is not to be determined by some arbitrary, humanly created standard of honor and shame. But rather, the truth of the kingdom is we are loved and cherished, named and claimed, and as the psalmist has sung, crowned with glory and honor by the God who has created us in his image and for his purpose, the God who cares for us, the God who forgives us, the God who welcomes us, forgives us, redeems us, and continues every day and in every way to give every, us everything we need to flourish in this life. All of this and so much more, despite the fact, despite the fact that we haven't earned it, any of it, in the very least. Or that more often than not, we fail to live in a way that says we deserve it. Or even though ultimately we can do nothing, absolutely nothing meaningful for God in return for receiving it. Except, except maybe trying to do the same thing for others. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when at that Sabbath meal he made a point of suggesting to that Pharisee that his next party ought to not include so many friends and family in the rich and famous, but might include those who would never have any hope whatsoever of repaying him for the kindness. Because in truth of fact, that's exactly what God had already done for him, and also, by the way, what he does for you and for me. Can't you see? Don't you get it, Jesus says? Where the grace of your heavenly Father is concerned, for every good thing you've ever been given by God, there can never be any kind of debt repayment. No quid pro quo. No, hey, you scratched my back, so now I'll scratch yours. All you can do in return, all you can ever hope to do is to pay it forward, as it were, to do the same for others. That, dear friends, according to Jesus, is what real faith, true discipleship, and the kingdom life is all about. To put this another way, it's about taking what we've been given by God's grace and letting it navigate our lives, letting it have something, a lot, everything to do with our daily decisions, our priorities, and, and our behaviors as we go through this life. It's about living our lives with a spirit not only of hospitality, which is important, but also humility, which is even more important. It's about foregoing self-aggrandizement and, and, and upward mobility for the sake of, of welcoming those who sit way back in the room without any hope of ever sitting at the head table. It's about ignoring the pecking orders of this world the kind of practices that dictate statuses of honor or shame. It means humbling ourselves. It means placing our hope, our dependency, ourselves, not as the world sees things, but by the way that is set forth in a radically different kind of kingdom. 
I guess the question for us this morning is hearing what Jesus has said at the banquet, hearing what the kingdom of God is all about. I guess the question is what we're going to do about that and ultimately where it is we've chosen to sit. Can it be said of you and me today that we're in a place where we risk getting sent down? Or do we stand or sit anticipating a joy of being called up? It's a good question. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the answers to those questions have a lot to do with us. In the words of Debbie Thomas, who is a director of children's and family ministries at St. Mark's Episcopal in Palo Alto, California, she writes, Jesus asks us to believe that our behavior at the table matters, because it does. Where we sit speaks volume, and the people with whom we choose to be with and the ones we want to welcome reveal the stuff of our souls. So, Thomas writes, favor the ones who cannot repay you. Prefer the poor. Choose obscurity. This is God's world we live in, and nothing here is ordinary. In the realm of God, Thomas concludes, the ragged strangers at our doorstep might simply be the angels. That is something to think about, friends. Especially now that we're invited to come to the table and know his presence in the bread and the wine. Thanks be to God, beloved, for this. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that was the message we entitled, Beyond the Banquet. It was recorded during our September 1st service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, we'd love to welcome you in person for one of those services. We gather every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We're located on 51 Mountain Road in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. And I would love the chance to greet you there. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I Thank you for listening, and I do appreciate your support of this podcast wherever you happen to be listening. So please, keep in touch. You can do that through a voice message on the podcast page. You can find us on Facebook, or you can send an email. But let me know what you're thinking. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.